with Palm Sunday in the background, we're going to focus now on Revelation 4. And Palm Sunday, the, the text from John 12 and other stories in the gospel show us this picture during Jesus' earthly ministry when he's about to enter the city of Jerusalem and the crowds welcome him with praise and adoration. And in Revelation 4, in Revelation 4, we see another crowd welcome Jesus and, and give the Lord praise and adoration. So hear now the word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you must take, what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to go through the sermon today by asking and hopefully answering three questions. And the first question we're going to ask is, what kind of king is this? What kind of king is this that we encounter in our scripture readings for today? Now, you've probably heard the parable, it started out as a poem perhaps, but the parable of the blind men and the elephant. And a number of blind men walk up to an elephant and they all grab hold of a different part. One grabs hold of the elephant's tusk and says, oh, the elephant feels like, feels like a spear. And another goes up to the elephant's side and says, an elephant, an elephant feels like a wall. And another gets hold of the elephant's tail and says, ah, an elephant, an elephant's a lot like a rope. And then another one, well, another one gets hold of the elephant's ear, and you have to wonder what the elephant is thinking of all this, right? And waves the ear around and says, oh, the elephant's ear is like a, like a fan you use if you're too hot. And that story is often used in, in a way to say, you know, all religions, all people, all of us, we're just blind men, and we're just feeling our way through life, and we don't really know the truth. We just all proclaim our particular part of the truth. And, and so be careful being too, too sure about what you believe because you might get it wrong. Now, there's a lot of ways we might object to that parable, but, but I think there is something to it 
poking and prodding us to ask, are we really getting ultimate reality right? Are we seeing the truth or are we just grabbing something that's close to us and saying, this is how it is? And what we see in that John 12 reading, what we see in the story of Palm Sunday is a crowd, even of God's own people, even of the people of Israel, of of God's chosen, while we see them grabbing hold of part of the truth and saying, this is how it is, but they're getting it wrong. They think Jesus has come to be their national and political king. They they think he's come to start a revolution and overthrow the Romans and, and fulfill their political program, parts A, B, and C. And that is simply not what Jesus is up to. In that elephant parable, there's, there's someone, there's the narrator who stands back and who can look at all those poor blind men and, and who sees the truth and who proclaims it. And what the Bible does for us is it, it helps us to step back and it, it gives us glasses, it gives us eyes, it gives us the ability to truly see what is truly there in the universe. Revelation 4 opens up to us what reality really looks like. In those first few verses, they are full of symbols. There's jasper and carnelian. There's an emerald rainbow around the throne. There's more thrones. There's living creatures. There's lightning and rumbling and clashes of thunder. There's there's all these symbols, and I didn't even list all of them. And honestly, people debate about what they mean. I I think you can't be too firm that this is exactly what it means. But I think there's some elements there we we can draw on. Jasper and carnelian represent something new, something fresh. The Lord is making something new. That emerald rainbow that goes around the throne is intended to, to bring to mind the story of Noah. And at the, end of, or at the end of the story of the flood, the Lord puts a rainbow in the sky and promises that he will not again destroy the earth. That rainbow is a sign of God's faithfulness. And that lightning, those rumblings, those, those peals of thunder are a sign of God's power and, and of the reality of judgment coming. God is making things new. God is faithful. And God comes with justice. We serve a Lord of creativity, of grace, of justice, of power, and of love. So I think that as much as I can trace out what the symbols mean, that's, that's, I think, the direction we need to go. But then there's another feature there that that you don't see it first, but once someone talks about it, it it starts to make a lot of sense. Now, if you picture a throne, and you picture God's throne, you probably picture it maybe, if we were in the sanctuary, maybe up here, that there's this place over there kind of up and away where the throne sits, but that's not actually the picture that this text gives us. The picture this text gives us is actually that the throne is a circular throne. Now, some people used to say that the universe was geocentric, that it revolved around the earth, and then we found out that wasn't so true, and and then they said it was heliocentric, that the universe revolves around the sun, that that all the planets go around the sun at the center of the universe, and and then we found out actually we're part of a bigger universe. And some people on a little different level say, well, they go anthropocentric. Humanity is at the center of the universe, and so everything should should be focused in on humanity. And really, many of us live as if we're egocentric, as if it is I, myself, who is at the center of the universe, and and everything centers on me. But what this text shows us is a theocentric universe. It shows us that God sits in the very center of everything, 
And this is a throne with no back. There is no way to, to get around God or to get away from Him. He sees everything. And this is, Revelation 4 is not really about the throne room in heaven. It's about the whole universe. The universe has God at the center, and then there are circles that go out from there. And so we, we are present in this vision but God is at the center. And now I debated not coming down in the aisle like this, because I'm guessing especially the people I'm close to are a little uncomfortable right now. But maybe we should be a little uncomfortable to realize we're in God's presence, to realize that there is no place that we can get distance from the Lord, and, and to realize that any other power, any other throne that attempts to set itself up, well, you can, you can turn your back on God, but God is still at the very center of everything. Our tendency is to put ourselves at the center, and what this text does is very firmly displaces us, shoves us out and says, no, God is at the center. The Lord is the only king. There is no other. There is no other. And so we need to be reminded that God is, is exclusively God. There is no other option. And God is sovereign. He reigns over everything. There is no court of appeal. There is no power that is above God or even that can compete with Him. So Revelation 4 begins by, by showing us that picture of the universe. The Lord is at the center. And that means that we, that we are not. And so then the question is, and what this text works out is, is what kind of service is due to the Lord? What, what do we, how do we respond? How do we respond to this king? If the Lord is the only king, how do we relate to him? So last week or a couple weeks ago, my family and I were on vacation and we went to a zoo and, and it was a zoo that had a baby elephant. That was the big dross. We went and we saw all these elephants and I don't know how close you've ever been to an elephant. We were not able to get tremendously close, but they are huge creatures. Even the baby elephant was probably about this big. And the mama elephant and the grandma elephant and the daddy, they get huge, right? Well, if you're going to interact with an elephant, you'd better make sure you're doing it right. And in fact, the zoo had this huge moat, and then there were all these fences, and there's no way that you're going to be let close to those animals because they could squish you like a bug. And so you, you approach them in a certain way, with a certain amount of caution, but also with a certain amount of reverence, because they are amazing, majestic animals. And so when we, when we approach the Lord, well, we have to approach Him with a certain amount of fear, a great deal of reverence, because He is mighty and majestic. And so the right response, and the only right response to this king, to the Lord, is that we owe him worship. We owe the Lord worship. We are to ascribe great worth, to acknowledge that God is greater than everything else. But we often get this wrong. That crowd waving palms on Palm Sunday, they, they had God's word. They had the Old Testament. They should, of all people, have known how to praise the Lord and instead Instead, they set their eyes on a different kind of kingdom. 
And what Revelation 4 does is show us, show us a picture of what proper worship of the Lord looks like. We are not at the center, but this text shows us that we are, we are present with the Lord. There are these four living creatures, and, and the words that are used there are kind of funny. They don't even say creatures. They say kind of living ones or living things or living beings, and, and they're kind of different, right? They look like an ox and a man and an eagle, and, and they've got eyes all over, and, and we aren't quite sure what to make of it. Some people say they're angels. They're sort of God's delegated first line of authority. Other people say they represent all creation, all creatures, but then outside of that, there's 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones. And those 24 elders, people think, represent the Old Testament and the New Testament people of God. In the Old Testament, there are the 12 tribes of Israel, and that is, that is how God works with his people for much of that part of the Bible, the 12 tribes. And then in the New Testament, God picks 12 disciples, and, and they are the ones who are closest to him. They're the ones who, who lead the church after he ascends to heaven. The 12 tribes, the 12 disciples, 24 people gathered around the throne to worship the Lord. But we think that those aren't actually supposed to be individuals. We think they are supposed to be representatives or symbols of all of God's people. And so the message there is not, oh, those really special 24 people get to be close to God. The message is that all of us, all of us who follow in the way of the 12 tribes, all of us who follow in the way of the 12 disciples, all of us who belong to Jesus, we are right there in the heavenly throne room at the center of the universe with the Lord praising him. And what we do there, what is happening now, and what we will do for all eternity is to fall down before the Lord and worship and worship and worship. Those 24 creatures, are, those four creatures are perpetually crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And the text says every time those 24 creatures say that, the 24 elders fall down before God's throne and praise him. This is eternal praise all the time, a cycle of worship that never, ever, 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 ever ends. And this is the center of reality, the center of the universe. So two, two implications, two applications for us today. First of all, worship is our priority. And worship of the Lord is our priority. Worship here when we gather and worship with God's people, worship in the sense of service in all of life, all that we are supposed to do is to be focused on Jesus Christ and the Lord God at the center of the universe. Worship. We gather to worship. But then this text also has a tremendous push toward mission, toward proclaiming the gospel. John Piper has this line that takes a little bit of unpacking, but he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist to go out and to draw more and more people into this circle of praise. And so as we support missionaries, as we, as we witness to those around us, what we are trying to do is to bring other people into worship into centering their lives on the Lord. And there are other things we talk about. There are other things that are important about the gospel, but the key part 
And the very center of our lives as Christians is to look to God and to declare him holy and powerful and mighty and worthy. This is what we do as the church. But then I have one more question this morning, and, and that question is, what do, we, what do we get out of all this? What benefit do we receive? And in one way, this is totally the wrong type of question, right? I've just said, well, God is at the center of the universe, and we owe him worship. So what we get, the benefits to us are not really the important thing. Everything revolves around the Lord. Now, I say that, and it's totally true. But I think sometimes we, we don't feel very compelled by it. It feels kind of abstract and out there. Yeah, I should worship God. That, I guess, is an obligation. Okay, I should do it. Okay, that's true. But I think there's a deeper reality there that, that perhaps we're missing. You see, in many ways, we are egocentric. In many ways, we do want to put ourselves at the center of the universe. And we often are out there trying to do that. We're, we're trying to build a world around ourselves, a world where we get our way, where no one, no one talks back to us, where it's all about our convenience, where it's all about us. And, you know, that's a pretty nice universe to live in, isn't it? When everything is all about me. But the problem with that kind of universe is that it's not real and it's empty, and it will always collapse in on itself. Now, you might be really good at building a world around yourself. You might be quite skilled at that, and you might have it last for quite a while, but, but all of those little universes that we build with us at the center, they will collapse. They're convenient, they're nice, but they collapse. And so if we're really going to live, well, if we're really going to live, period, then we need to ask this question, what is reality? And how do I live within what is real? And there's a challenge here. God demands more, more than we want to give him. You know, if you, if you have a little fish for a pet, you keep him in the bowl, you, you feed him, you're totally in control. Now imagine if you had an elephant for a pet. Put an elephant in your living room. I'll give you a moment to reflect on that and cringe. But what would it be like to actually live with something much bigger and much more powerful than you? Well, you'd have to center your life around it. But as long as that is the reality, if you are fighting against that power, you will lose and you will be miserable. I have a confession to make about this text. When I was Pretty young, I won't tell you how young. young. It, wasn't, it wasn't 35 or anything, it was a few years ago, okay? When I read this text, and it talks about all the elders taking their thrones off and casting them at the feet of God, I thought I want to be there. It sounds like a great place to be, but I think I'm going to keep my throne. I mean, I think I'm, I'm going to keep my crown. You know, everyone else can throw it down, I'll keep it, because crowns are nice, and really doesn't matter that much. Does God really need one more crown? And I think often that's even how we as Christians approach God. That yes, we'll praise him, but we want to keep a little back for ourselves. But when we really see God, when we really see God, then we realize that when we worship the Lord, we receive everything that matters. It is only when 
when and only when we truly put the Lord at the center and acknowledge Him there and build everything around Him that we can experience life as it's supposed to be. Those people outside Jerusalem on Palm Sunday were were trying to build a universe for themselves, and they failed, and then they turned on Jesus. We are often trying to build universes for ourselves, where we can be in control, where we can be at the center, where things will go our way, and we fail. But Revelation 4 invites us, like John, to, to step into the heart of the universe for a moment and to see how the Lord is at the center and to recognize that with Him we get more than we could ever get on our own. If you've been here over the last couple months or so, we worked through Revelation 2 and 3, and we read seven letters to seven churches. And pretty much all of those letters gave some type of promise to each particular church, and and really to the whole church everywhere. And there were things that were promised, like you'll receive a crown, you'll have a throne, you'll have a white robe, I'll hold on to you forever. And Revelation 2 and 3 builds up to Revelation 4. And now now we land at the center of the universe. And what we see is the Lord fulfilling all his promises. Yes, you may have trouble now. Yes, you are persecuted. Yes, you are suffering tribulation. Yes, things are not how they're supposed to be. And some of that's your fault, church. Get, Get to work on it. But some of it's not your fault. But life is hard. And then the Lord gives these promises And Revelation 4 shows us the fulfillment of those promises. Here we all are, seated on thrones forever. We've been given white robes. We are are pure and clean and trouble-free in a way that we can't even begin to comprehend now. And we've received crowns. We are victors. We have Olympic gold medals, so to speak. And we have all kinds of authority and power because we are We are at the center of the universe with the Lord. We have all of that in Jesus Christ. And so the natural, the fitting, the just organic overflowing response is to turn to the Lord and be continually giving back to Him, throwing ourselves at His feet, throwing our crowns at His his feet, jumping off of our thrones and saying, you are the only one, the holy and worthy and powerful and glorious and compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love, Lord God. In Jesus, we have everything. And we, as we in the church, as we as God's people, more and more orient our lives around the throne of the universe, around the Lord God, we find that our lives, well, on the surface, they might not become better and better. We still have trouble. We still have our issues. But But the Lord works to transform us from within. And so external circumstances matter less and less. And what matters more and more is that we have seen Jesus. And church, we have seen Jesus. We have seen Jesus come riding into Jerusalem to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And we have seen Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven and bringing us to be with him forever. And that, that is the truth. That is life. That is the only hope the universe has to offer. And we have all of that with us here and now today through Jesus Christ. May we each hold on to Jesus. Let's pray. 
Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. And you have all power and glory and might. And Lord, we are grateful too that you are gracious and compassionate. That you are abounding in love and that rather than casting us far away from you, that you have drawn us into your presence. Lord, we ask that you help us today to to recognize where and when and how we are building our own little universes around ourselves. Lord, help us to let go of those false realities and help us to step into this picture of the true universe where, where you are on the throne and where you welcome us there. Lord, we pray that you give us the strength we need to follow you. We pray that you give us the love we need to follow you. We pray that you give us your spirit so that we can continue to draw closer to Jesus. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.